0: Thank you. Civilized towns, you look a man direct in the face when you talk to him. This isn't comfortable. No, it's not supposed to be.
1: There's a situation, serious.
0: Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. God knows what they're doing to her. And every second that we delayed. you know who did this. I don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. I'm, I'm coming with you. No, no, I need you here. And this is what the backup's for, to help an emergency, not stay back. I'm coming. We're making a five day journey in three days, riding along and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trailer, anything else goes in that direction. If our horses die before we get there, or we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, we won't rescue anybody.
1: Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and joining me as always on this cinematic expedition is Adam Walker. Adam, I'm so excited for today's episode. I say that every week. No, I don't. Last week I didn't say that. <laughs> this week I am. <laughs> and you sound dreamy like dreamy, sleepy. I did wake up from just woke up from a nap. <laughs> oh, you did. Nice. I love I a nap. St- I still I I uh, need a mid afternoon
0: nap just to get me through the day. I'm right there with you. I've always been a uh, a strong proponent, a strong advocate for napping.
1: And yes, my uh, big, big proponent of the nap. I just went to the doctor and he was like, how much how many hours of sleep are you getting a night? And I said, well, do you count naps like during the day? And he looked at me like I was a fucking child, but he also didn't answer my question.
0: So I don't know with the nap. I'm at eight at least. Yeah. I don't understand there. There's a lot of hate on the nap. Um, My partner is not a napper and I always, I always advocate for the naps when she's said she's tired or she's not feeling well. I'm like, take a nap. It's like, no, it'll make me feel worse. I'm like, how is that possible? Because if if I sleep too long, it does make
1: me feel like total shit. There's a there's a like a fine line between a real energizing like fifteen to thirty minute banger nap and like I fell asleep for two hours and I wake up feeling like groggy. So it's a
0: it's a delicate balance. I get That's that. It's true. true. You're all right, but uh, I will take a two hour nap over no nap any day. I'm just saying. <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm, I'm with you, and hence,
1: uh, and and thus I should say concludes the the nap time <laughs> portion of
0: our podcast. <laughs> here, yeah, here was our what is the science of sleep? It would be lo, ullery, som- somnambulatory, somnambulatory, Somnamnology or so, so. Anyways, yes, here's us talking about somnambulism. You know what I couldn't, uh, fall asleep to, even if
1: I fucking tried <laughs> it's bone Tomahawk. I was going to say, is it the movie we're talking about this week? Could it, it be? It could it be? Yeah. No, I, I've put fucking, uh, sleep with one eye open thinking about this movie, but, um, bone Tomahawk is tonight's, uh, movie of choice directorial, directorial debut of Stephen Craig Zaylor. Um, <laughs> You have not seen this, so I'm very excited to talk to you about it. I've only seen it once, so I nominated after only one viewing. I saw it when it first came out and was uh, unequivocally blown away. And he has since come out with two more movies that I actually have not seen, but have to get on board with. After doing the research and watching this again, I'm going to have to do a deep dive into his very short filmography. But before we get into any of that minutiae, off the top, what what were your initial thoughts having seen this for the first time?
0: Um, Well, so this was a movie that has been on my radar for quite some time. Uh, We had discussed it a few times, just never quite made it on deck, but it was always there in the periphery of my mind mainly because Kurt Russell, because who really, who doesn't like Kurt Russell? Who out there, I'm gonna ask, doesn't like Kurt Russell? If there is any one of you that is not a Kurt Russell fan, just fuck off. Because my man is a treasure. He's the only vocal libertarian that I will say I, I cherish as a man. Yeah, He's that's me- a hard ask. Once right. once
1: you come out as a vocal libertarian
0: it's Game over, but uh, I'll I'll give him a pass on that. I mean, you I'll, I'll be like, dude, you know what? If if there's any man in Hollywood that I, I'm okay with not paying taxes, and, <laughs> and then that's Kurt Russell. <laughs> Kurt Russell, yes. Goldie Hawn. That's fine. You don't need to pay taxes. You've contributed enough to our lives. That's my one of my favorite power couples. Holy shit! Absolutely. So, anyways, so that was a big, obviously a big sell, and just the fact that it's it's this genre bending, uh, concept western, cannibal, supernatural. All kinds of stuff. And I honestly didn't know much about any of the other, you know, the auxiliary cast or the surrounding supporting cast. And then when I found out who it was, then I was like even more like fucking stoked because there's some real sick supporting cast in this movie. So I went into it with high hopes and I will. I am pleased to tell you that I left feeling satisfied that it met my expectations. It actually is good yeah, it actually, it was different than what I expected. And still, I I came away from it being quite pleased. So good to hear. Yeah, It's hard to have high expectations. And and
1: it's hard to walk into something with really high expectations and walk away feeling satisfied. Mm -hmm. It really is like uh, when stuff gets hyped up. um, It's it's really hard to meet though. So I'm glad to hear that it was everything as advertised for you.
0: Yeah, and I will say also, because you mentioned it, that um, I did peruse uh, Zalers' other f- films, and he does look like he's got some real bangers up there. That There's the one with Vince Vaughn, the brawler and cell block something or mm-hmm. whatever, I guess. That looks hella tight. Yeah, brawl and
1: cell block 99. That's so This it is. is a good time to just bring up Stephen Craig mm-hmm. Um he followed this di- directorial debut up with brawl in cell block 99, which is, uh, Vince Vaughn in a, like a gritty prison movie. And then he followed that up with dragged across concrete, which, uh, got him in a little bit of hot water. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. where he, where he, <laughs> he pairs up with, uh, a public enemy. Number one, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Um, and Vince Vaughn comes back and they play, two gritty cops who uh, are like at the end of the rope, like in desperation. So they try, they try to pull off a heist and talk about rubbing me in a clockwise motion across my midnight clit. That is like fucking, <laughs> that's like <laughs> everything I want in a movie. And I, I, I uh, already have it on the the queue. It went straight to the top. So I got to see it. But the only reason he's, kind of in any sort of hot water at all is because his movies have been kind of described as like this unwoke racist Fantasia of sort. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get a little bit of that in bone Tomahawk. Mm -hmm. Um, I I haven't not, having not seen the other two movies, I can't really speak to where people are coming from with that, but he's notoriously a guy who doesn't give a fuck and is like really unapologetic about his movie making. And, that oftentimes can rub me the wrong way, like the I don't give a f- – the IDGAF guy. Yeah. But in this in this happenstance, he's just like, these are the fucking movies that I want to make, and he fetishizes violence. It seems to be like a real big uh, uh, movie-making <laughs> trope for him, mm-hmm. um, and as part of such, I think people get rubbed the wrong way seeing maybe – you know, minorities portrayed in a in a in a certain light, or having them be the express purpose of all the violence. I don't know, but he's he's very much a wildcard director, and very early on in his career.
0: Yeah, that was definitely a thought I had while watching this movie that we're talking about. Is it certainly doesn't do any um, it doesn't do any favors to. Uh, <laughs> putting indigenous people in a place that is favorable, uh, in comparison to white colonizers. So yes, it's definitely, it's utilizing old school movie tropes. Um, very much. So he's very, he's in like the,
1: he's on the fringe of current movie makers. His shit does not get a wide release. Um, he's not very concerned with numbers. He's, he's very akin to like a Sam Peckinpah. Like he makes his, he kind of is just like grinding in this, in this, uh, counterculture that like, and, and doing things his own way and in, in his own stated kind of, uh, explicit depiction of action and violence kind of colliding together. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously, with Sam Peckinpah, when he's when his career was at its peak in like the '60s and '70s, that was more of a an acceptable form of filmmaking, especially with grindhouse cinema being at its height and yeah. and all that. But he he's very akin to like that that
0: mode of filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I could see that. So yeah, without viewing it through any sort of critical. Lens that is currently, you know, in vogue as far as how to view artists and creators. If you if you view it from the from the standpoint which we do, obviously, of the the art unto itself, the movie unto itself, it's a good film. So, yes,
1: and I. Having seen it a second time, I was no less impressed the second time as I was the first. I thought maybe I was going to go into it and be like, yeah, that was not, it wasn't as good as I, I remember it being. But uh, it's a ripper and still holds. So I was pleasantly surprised by all that. But yeah. Um, so shall we get into uh, more of the minutiae then? Please, minutia way. Quick plot description. Uh, again, I got lazy and just pulled it from Wikipedia, but it's a succinct enough description. The film is about a small town sheriff uh, played by Kurt Russell, who leads a posse into a desolate region to rescue two people who are abducted by a cannibalistic indigenous clan. And uh, all fucking hell breaks loose from there. Um in terms of money made uh uh reviews that sort of thing it had a 1.8 million dollar uh, budget um and in terms of international box office gross i looked up the numbers and we, it's sitting right around 475,000 so about half of its budget it made back but again his, this idea of him not being very concerned about getting this thing out into onto as many screens as possible, the domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales were well over four million, so okay. it almost like made all its money back all from word of mouth and and people. Kind of consuming it differently than they would in theaters. This it just did not have a wide enough release. So four hundred seventy-five thousand sounds pathetic, but for the fact that this was probably only on a couple screens in L.A. and New York, then it's not as bad. Thinking of it that way,
0: yeah, I was wondering about that. I thought that that I was seeing the wrong numbers, or there was a typo because I was I saw those numbers and. In my mind, I thought, "Wow, this was definitely a flop." But um, yeah, now that you bring up on the back end, it made all that money back and, and then some. Then that that makes sense. So,
1: yeah, it was a workaround to be successful. <laughs> it's a yeah, and relief. that's that's smart. Good on it. It is. Yeah, he oh. bet on himself. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of reviews, uh, it it was you know almost across the board. Uh, especially at, you know, various um, uh, festivals and, and whatnot, was seen as very favorable. Uh, two of my favorites, um, one was Kim Newman at Empire said, it has a nice line in rye chatter and a pleasantly old-fashioned lost posse plot with engaging odd characters striving against the wilderness while swapping cynical frontier wisdom. I think that's really, really appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. And then Guy Lodge, the worst name in, uh, <laughs> in <laughs> sorry, movie <laughs> critic history, for writes for variety. He said, but for those with a head for loopily, discursive humor, not to mention a stomach for some inspired grotesquerie, Stephen Craig Zaylor's debut feature will come as a most violent delight. And uh, Guy Lodge really nailed it with the most violent delight it uh Mm. it really is we've we've explored a lot of movies on this podcast that are quote-unquote violent this is the most realistic violence i think we've ever tackled a lot of it is over the top camp or like real like black humor uh in the in a sense of like a, a horror movie um lens but this is just brutal
0: like brutality for brutality's sake yeah, some of the violence. Even I was like, "Ooh," I winced. It it
1: transported me to the first time I saw like *Cannibal Holocaust*, right? <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. That level of like holy fuckery. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you wanted to add on the front end before we get into the real meat of this fucking blood-soaked sandwich? No, let's just let's chop it open. The good, the bad, and the questionable... Lead off the good. I'm just gonna go ahead and say the third act of this movie just <laughs> rips basically from the point where Kurt Russell and the, and the rest of who's remaining in the posse get to uh, the caves. From then on, you're on a, a real trip, <laughs> yeah. And up to that point, this movie is uh, very plot like plotting and uh it, dialogue it, driven yeah very dialogue driven and um but every everything has a point everything it make like is integral to the story but up until that final third you get little little bits and gristle of 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 violence and the nature of the film but the the th- last third of this film the third act is in like some hyperdrive of of violence that is on <laughs> another level it and it perfectly mashes mishmashes like western <laughs> violence with like horror elements in a really th- pleasing way for <laughs> freaks like us
0: yeah for sure um I think for a lot of people, this may, if they want to get the most out of this movie, it's going to be a real test of their patience. So I liken this movie in, in that way to The Hateful Eight, which I don't know how much you like it, but I, I really, really like The Hateful Eight. I saw them in the theaters and I went with a group of people, and almost everybody I went with fucking hated it. And I loved it because one of the reasons why I like Tarantino and I will say that this guy definitely has some Tarantino elements to what he's doing, especially with this movie, you know, because obviously it's the only one I've seen where there is a real emphasis on dialogue and focusing on the dialogue and the character development that springs forth from those interactions so to me, that's why I really like this movie and it kept me engaged the whole time, all the way up to the, cause it's a long movie. It's a two hour movie. Um, two plus. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, for two thirds of the movie, as you kind of hinted at, there really isn't a whole lot of wild action. There's, you know, there's some things here and there, but yeah, it's all like it, it, it it's all like punctuated at that very third act with the, the giant blood soaked gore <laughs> gory cherry on top. It's building to that moment. Yeah. The whole movie is. And, and, and I feel like hateful eight was like that where it was just a lot of dialogue right up to the very end. And then there's all this shit just hits the fan and it's and, a yeah, and hateful eight
1: fucking rules just to go on record. I loved hateful eight. And I love that this is like a weird Kurt Russell in his, Uh, like (laughs) Grizzly Adams batshit beard phase of his career. Like Mm. it's just like him in this and him in hateful eight, like which were filmed and released within like a year or two of each other. So he just kept this gnarly fucking beard, which there's a picture of him and Goldie Hawn at like some, (laughs) some award ceremony. And he has like the, he has like the bone tomahawk beard. And I just, I can't even imagine like that man is walking around. (laughs) <laughs> fucking hollywood going in to get like a boba tea somewhere like looking like <laughs> fucking nutball i love it yeah and i that's a good comparison what i like a lot about hateful eight is i just love a really good who's done it uh, who done it like yeah uh, hateful eight's like clue meets bone tomahawk <laughs> yeah <laughs> or absolutely something. like it's a really violent clue um yeah. yeah i love i love that movie but for sure oh. that's a good comparison
0: Well, and what I want to say about this movie is, again, like with Tarantino, it definitely intertwines humor in with everything else. It's a funny movie. It's got like just really funny moments.
1: It does. And I don't know – to make a comparison to another movie, have you ever seen Ravenous? This is like – more 21st century ravenous like absolutely ravenous is more funny like it ravenous tries to play more as a black comedy whereas this is uh more a lot more serious um Mm. the the comedy elements are are underplayed for the sake of the violence but ravenous uh, i feel like this pulls a, a page from that um, although he doesn't list it as one of his
0: influences for this movie, but I found it hilarious that David Arquette is in both of those movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was part of the, you know, some of the research I did on it. I was like, Oh yeah. David Arquette is in two cannibal movies, cannibal um, Western horror hybrids. <laughs> yeah. That's great that you bring up ravenous because that's definitely kind of a sleeper, low key, great movie that people don't talk about enough. Um, what's yeah, his great. name um i always why would i draw a blank on his name the dude that plays begbie the dude that plays cannibal in ravenous oh um yeah i, I can never remember that fucking dude's name either um but he, he's he's great in everything everything i see him in he fucking rules and he's so great in that movie i'm trying to look him up for the sake of this fucking argument but now it's I, uh, I, like robert carlisle or something i think robert carlisle yes yes yes, yes. Yeah, but he's that dude yeah. plays a <laughs> that
1: guy. It's just like all over the map, but his shit is always really good.
0: Yeah, when he plays a maniac, you know, in Train Spotting, he just right. He leans into playing the maniac so well, and he does in that movie. But yes, I definitely see that as being a good kind of like that's a similar theme that's been upgraded into, into more contemporary terms uh, with this movie is the ravenous theme. So, yes, absolutely. And though, if for maybe someone that is listening
1: that hasn't seen bone tomahawk, but has seen those movies, if you like those movies, there's no reason that you wouldn't like bone tomahawk. Cause it's, yeah. a, it's pretty much a sum of those parts. Mm-hmm. Um, more good. Uh, I, I love for I, I love lines uh, in a movie that shows you what you're up against and kind of. There's a foreboat, There's a really foreboding line in this movie where the professor is talking to the sheriff, and the sheriff asks him, "Well, how many of them are there?" Like in the Troglodyte Clan. Yeah. And the professor just says, "It doesn't matter. You don't stand a chance against any number of them." I that line really stands out because. The professor also doubles down by not going and cannot be persuaded to go, which <laughs> also like lends itself to how much of a uh, a real hornet's nest that they're about to walk into. And I love when you're on the precipice of something and you get there and you're like, God damn, I know the shit is about to hit the fan and you were hinted at it earlier. That That kind of roundabout way of storytelling is just really tickles my fucking bones and, and and it's used to perfection in this.
0: Yeah. I also wanted to say, you know, uh, I like, even though he is only briefly in there, I do like the, the very, uh, brief glimpse we get of Sid Haig in the beginning. Cause this is one thing I will say, you know, and anybody that's listened with any regularity to this podcast knows my ire for Rob zombie that's been well documented at this point. But one thing I will consistently say is things that I do like about Rob zombies movies is Bill Moseley and Sid Haig. Sid Haig yeah. to me. And uh, Ken Forey. And Ken Forey. So I like seeing Sid Haig. And I feel like this is probably one of the last things Sid was in. And that's probably also why he's, he shows up so briefly because you can tell he's like, he's looking pretty rough. He's he's looking pretty old, but you know, yes, it's, he, it's cool. he died making that last really shitty Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. Um,
1: but this uh, yeah. this was not very far be- yeah. behind it. So
0: <laughs> yeah, so it was cool seeing him there. We got we got a little uh, little treat, little little taste of Sid there at the beginning I did that. That's a good. That was a good for me as well.
1: Um, and piggybacking off of that this has got to be maybe my favorite David Arquette, like him in Ravenous is really good too. But like I, most people I feel like think of David Arquette as a, a fucking hack. Um, yeah. And this really, this really drives home solid David Arquette shit. Like he really puts together a fantastic performance. And um, I don't think people remember him for being like a really good actor in anything, but this this is it. Like if you're looking for the to scrape the, the cream off the fucking top here, separated, that this this would be this would be at the top of his acting list.
0: Yeah, he's he's good in it. I have no I have no ill will against David Arquette. I mean, he's not a person he's just one of those actors that he doesn't stand out, but every movie I've seen him in, he's he's an enjoyable enough person to watch. You know, he I like him in Scream. <laughs> He tried so, to hijack professional wrestling for his
1: own uh, for his own benefit. So I have ill will for him uh, oh. on that. <laughs> but, I mean, see, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna get to this. into all that.
0: Okay. Well, if you're listening, David Arquette, stop pissing Pat off and get your myths off his his beloved wrestling. He became WC. I'm not going into this, but <laughs> I, will <laughs> Please, go this. I will. no. Let's go into it. I'm <laughs> trying to draw you out
1: here. One of the last vestiges of WCW, one of the last real dumb fucking ideas that they had, uh, well, when they were just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what would stick, was putting the fucking heavyweight championship on David Arquette and having him defend it. And it was like the de- one of the death
0: nails of WCW. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. That is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, he was very. He's a huge. He's a huge fucking wrestling guy. And
1: actually, there's a 2020 uh, Amer- a, a, a documentary about. Um, it's called "You Cannot Kill David Arquette," um, okay. and it's about his attempted to return into wrestling. And apparently, it is phenomenal. I've not seen it, but I I will track it down and and I will see it because this cool. is. I feel bad for like pinning that on him because that's his like one of his favorite things in the world is, is professional wrestling and I think he's lambasted because of it
0: yeah well let me ask you this because honestly I don't know is he in any way built no, he's no. It's, he's a terrible wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he doesn't strike. He doesn't have the physique, as far as I can tell, to be.
1: No, he. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where if he wasn't like famous, he wouldn't have gotten these shots that he did. Yeah. And like, if you would see him in a performance center, he would not stand out whatsoever. Like, he's still very clunky. I've not seen that documentary, and I've not seen his quote unquote return to wrestling. But um, yeah, he, he's very his. You could tell it's an unrefined set of skills that are, it, that just needs some polishing, as well as a lot more athletic ability.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. See, that's why I wanted you to talk about this because this you know, you know, I also like wrestling, but I'm not I'm not in it as much as you are. So I I, I get it vicariously the more info through you. So. But so yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's nice to like David Arquette for something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. Um, more good. There's something intrinsically terrifying about an enemy that has no spoken language, has no name. Yeah, uh, it's like this primal fear, fear of the unknown, that sort of thing that when they set up the truck, the quote unquote troglodytes, um, it's, it's really terrifying. It, it speaks, it goes back to like a real Darwinian situation. Like, we've evolved into this Dorito eating reality <laughs> TV show stuffing fucking Mountain Dew chugging white pride race that we have fucking become. Right. And, uh, you, it's hard to even believe that it ever stemmed from any sort of. Resourceful individual. <laughs> <laughs> so when you see somebody with that is just pure carnage and pure resourcefulness, and and it's like this clan who is—they don't even have fucking language. They are only out to ensure their own like survivalhood. It's yeah. terrifying. It really is.
0: Yeah. Well, and just in general, these tribes people are terrifying looking Their their chieftain with his crazy skull mask uh that shit is sick and great work on the on the yeah the on the visuals on them yeah the costume work is fantastic in this they all look terrifying the bone tomahawk itself as a weapon is terrifying yes um, because it's just yeah it's so obviously primitive and and brutal And effective. Um, Also, I wasn't really sure. So, you know, they they whistle. They do the whistle call. Is that... Yeah. I couldn't tell, like, is that just something that they, they, uh, I guess, they evolved to have? Or is that an apparatus that they installed in their throat that he removes? So, I lovingly have it in my good as just, I call it the throat harmonica.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is so... I just said the throat harmonica shit is a real inventive piece of storytelling. I thought that it was a bone from, because they're a cannibalistic culture, a bone that was like inserted into their throat cavity to cause this like throat harmonica piercing whistle sound. That's just was my head cannon into it. But yeah, I don't really know anything, but watching Patrick Wilson try to, Fit that freshly throat ripped harmonica into his fucking mouth
0: was a real gnarly piece of business. One of my
1: oh. favorite things.
0: Oh yeah, another one where you're just like, hoo, hoo, hoo. yeah, where he's just he puts the blood-soaked bone in his mouth, and and it doesn't even work the first time. It looks like it, in middle school when someone's
1: retainer like falls behind the fucking toilet in the in the school restroom, <laughs> and you dare a buddy to put it in his mouth, and it's just like rimmed with like fucking pubes and like ancient gum <laughs> and you have to like you know for five bucks i mean i guess i'll fucking put it in my mouth that's what he which looked is, like which <laughs> is something that i would have done at that time oh yeah. yeah i i used to do all sorts of terrible shit for money in, a, yeah, in same. middle school and high school but yeah, <laughs> yeah i loved watching him first of all dig it throat rip that thing out of him and then and then just Trying it out like on a on a test run was so satisfying. I, I love it. I, I love when uh, the old Dwyer's are just adorable. But when she's like, I don't want to kiss you after you fucking sucked on that throat harmonica. And he was like, yeah. here, let me just whiskey these lips up a little bit. OK, now I'm good.
0: <laughs> yeah, <a> which, really- <laughs> which brings me to talk about that I did enjoy that cause we've talked about this off the mic that we both like Fargo, the series, there's a lot of Fargo cast members that get overlap. And that's one thing I love about certain movies. You know, there's definitely in certain time periods, you know, you see movies and, uh, shows have this carryover of casts and it's always a treat to see that. Like, and this is just one of those examples of, you know, being a fan of a, of a TV series and seeing like, for that time there's there seems to be you know that's like the the kind of trendy circle to kind of pick from for you know entertainment at the time and i like a lot of that cast so it's cool to see him it's funny because um i think we've talked about the fact that i don't like any of the conjuring movies at all i saw mm-hmm. the first one in the theater and i'm like it's not I just don't like that type of horror. So that was the first thing I ever saw that dude in and it left a bad taste in my mouth for him as an actor, but I've definitely warmed up to him more and more and seeing him in Fargo definitely helped a lot in that uh, second season of Fargo. So now whenever I see him, I'm like, Oh, sick. So I'm a huge Patrick Wilson, Stan for the opposite
1: reasons as to why you are insidious. Fucking yeah, not too. I career. do like Insidious. Yeah, right. and he's in those Annabelle movies. But like, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's a, a real unsung hero of the passing of the torch that's happening in current horror. And mm. um, I celebrate... <laughs> I, I love Patrick Wilson, yeah, a lot. And and you know, we've you said this and I've said it in a roundabout way, but this cast top to bottom, like Richard Jenkins is just like one of the deputies, like low key and but Richard Jenkins can carry like a fucking movie if he needed to. Like he's awesome. I love him in this as Chicory. Matthew yeah. Fox, I didn't even know was uh, uh in movies after Party of 5, which is tight, like and
0: he was in Lost, too, which I never really watched. But I
1: never watched Lost. Yeah, my yeah. wife yeah, my wife
0: was like, he's in Lost, dummy. I was like,
1: is Party of Five still a show? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have been the last thing that I, in any way, shape, or form, watched more than one episode that I remembered him in. But, yeah. Uh, to interject real quick, that was going to be my next good, was Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins is one of these... More or less supporting actors. Um, that the more and more I see him as well, the more I I love this dude. And my initial love for him is actually from seeing the Step Brothers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love stepbrothers so much. I know it's one of those movies that, you know, it's so lowbrow and so stupid that, you know, it can go either way for some people, but like it is legit. One of my favorite movies. It, I don't it, trust it, anyone that would be like <laughs> poo-poo pooh, Brothers. I right. don't know if I could, I could, I could hang with that person. Right. You just know you're dealing with a real fuddy duddy. that if they yeah, can't it's get a real witness like <laughs> test, <laughs> but Yeah, so that was where I – because he's one of those dudes that I know I'd seen him in other movies before that. But that is the one that I always associate him with. But every time I see him in a movie now, I'm like, oh, you're my dude. And yeah, he's great in this movie as well. And I actually didn't like – at first, it didn't register that it was him because when that initial scene – It's tough. Yeah, yeah. Because he's real old and grizzled. They grizzled him up really good. But when he's introduced – um in the movie and right from the get-go like i love him in that movie because there's that that interaction he's having with kurt russell about the soup (laughs) and he's just like he's just like that's some god-awful smelling tea and then he's like it's soup he's like oh well it's delicious
1: (laughs) and to go back to what you were saying about the like very tarantino e dialogue the uh Him opining about the flea circus that came to town was such a Tarantino thing. Like, it's a reprieve from all of the insanity that's going on. And him, like, not knowing whether or not the flea circus was real. And then Mrs. O'Dwyer being like, yeah, it's real. And then winking at Kurt Russell and him being like, oh, thank God. Like, I didn't want my dreams to be dashed on the flea circus. That was a real Tarantino vibe there. It reminded me of the Madonna conversation at in reservoir dogs like it's a right. real like ah like a like a non sequitur conversation but it brings a lot of delight and trickery gets all sorts of uh character development off of this one off conversation about the flea circus and richard jenkins plays it perfectly I, I fucking loved it i love him
0: yeah and i love the fact that he is one of the survivors of yes yeah. of the of the uh the search party because you just kind of expect he's like, the oldest and most enfeebled of the group that something bad was mm-hmm. going to happen but it turns it on its head where oh he actually makes it out alive <laughs> which is even better he'll he'll be seeing flea circuses until he's
1: <laughs> in the fucking grave but yeah, yeah. Until, until he goes tits up all the flea circuses tits are- up flea circus until you go tits up yeah he's <laughs> he's phenomenal I think mm-hmm. my Richard Jenkins cherry was broken with six feet under they was probably the very first thing and okay. I love six feet under I saw him in that but yeah brothers um he's in uh cabin in the woods cabin in the woods burn after reading which is low-key one of the funniest coen brothers movies i I, people i don't know for whatever reason don't like burn after reading as much but Mm -hmm. his character in burn after reading is is phenomenal yeah and cabin in the woods and in shape of water
0: yeah he's in shape Shape of water water. yeah that's right you're right he he's great in shape of water too i forgot he plays the uh the in the closet uh illustrator Right That just yeah. keeps eat, Going and eating The key lime pie That he hates that he fucking gotta- hates
1: That's brilliant <laughs> Yeah it's, it's so brilliant. good Yeah Richard Jenkins Is on our permanent good Hell yeah So Um I would be remiss To not mention We have What stands to be The most Brutal death In Midnight Flicks history Oh jeez uh, It's so <laughs> rough <laughs> The deputy that gets scalped, said scalp is shoved down his throat, dick and balls seem to be blasted away with that fucking bone, bone hammer, and then <laughs> he's just split into like a suckling pig. Uh, and yeah, it man. is
0: unflinching. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's real rough to watch. And again, if there is any... Yeah, it, when you're hearing it from people like us that are diehard, watch you know the sh- the most gory, gross shit, and we're telling you, this is pretty rough to watch. It's rough to watch, man. I think it, it it's perfectly
1: surmised. I went through a Reddit thread, and somebody said, they said. God damn, there's some violence in this movie. This is coming from someone who watched their cousin die. That's all he said. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's seen his cousin die, I guess. Maybe it was gnarly or he's seen dead bodies before, I guess is what he's insinuating. And he was like, whoa, that's some real ass shit. It really is. I think that segues into the other good that I have. There's really great bone crunching sound effects that's yeah. coupled with like really gritty practical visual effects and it just is a really good safe, gory sandwich like it, it it's good. when people get rocked on the noggin in this it it sounds like end game like it's done yeah. done so it's fucking
0: great yeah the visual effect just so overall like the sound design visual effects the score is really good I do all in all love the cinematography. There are some aspects of it. I feel like in the beginning of the movie that I don't know, this is kind of like in my good, bad questionable kind of all across the board. There are definitely aspects of the cinematography that I think are beautiful and like really look great. But then there's like some aspects where it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you notice this, but you could definitely tell that there's like, it's, it's the, the digital camera work really kind of like, kind of, shows through a little bit more than I like, but, but overall, like, yeah, all that stuff is great. So
1: I didn't notice any, any discrepancies, but, okay. um, yeah, I, you know, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> it's also that what comes with the trappings of making a, a, a movie for under 2 million, you sure. probably don't get to do the reshoots that you probably would want to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I wanted to say also, if we're gonna talk about the gore and the violence, what I think is a particularly ingenious maneuver in violence is the shoving the hot flask into Kurt Russell's side into the open wound is yeah, like that's slashing another. Slashing them
1: up with that fucking there's a lot of real primitive technology going on here, gravy. but it all works. <laughs> My man's are going for it with that shit. Getting anything <laughs> piercing hot it, like by putting it over a flame and then shoving it inside a ba- body cavity is always going to be gnarly and crazy. Well, yeah, and his reaction is, is great. It's good.
0: Yeah. Because clearly even as obviously, you know, whatever uh primitive as this tribe is, you know, <laughs> they get wise to the fact that they tried to kill them with the whiskey. And so that's just in their brand. They're like, Oh yeah, you're going to do this. Well, take this motherfucker and they take the fucking flask and shove it into his side. That's so fucked Which up. Which the, the opium,
1: that was in my question. The, the opium stunt is a real last grasp at survival, but uh, right. I would not have gone through with it based on what the shit I'd seen up to that point. Cause I would not want to be blamed nope. for that going awry. Nope. nope. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. just die having not tried anything and died in a less gnarly way than them being pissed and killing me
0: in a, in a real mad, mad way. <laughs> yep. Which they did. Which it, they did. They did. So do you have
1: any more good that we need to piece through here?
0: Um, yeah, I think I, that's, we hit all the highlights so we can move on.
1: All right. The bad, um, I struggled mightily. Uh, Yes, to come up with some bad, um, I don't even think this qualifies as bad, but it's bad if it's not your, if it's not your cup of, of, uh, blood, but, um, it's a slow burn movie and I, you know, typically I'm in for a slow burn. Um, but this one particularly is very plotting and, and like I said, uh, very purposeful though. In, yeah. in the way the plot kind of unravels, but yeah, for two plus hours, um,
0: you're really going to have to earn uh, the coup de gras at the end. Yeah, absolutely. That was going to be my main one. If there is a bad, but I feel like in general, this is a discussion I have with my partner. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but more and more as time goes on, movies just get longer. And, you know, I'm sure there's some explanation for this that I don't know, but it it is definitely it seems to be the continuing trend with big theater releases or whatever mid-level theater releases it movies just seem to be getting more and more uh, epic or just take more of your time. And I don't know, but that's this is one of those examples where I do like the whole movie and I have no qualms with it being long, but there is you know, there's times where you can say, does it really need to be this long? You know,
1: and having, you know, and looking at it, I don't know what I would necessarily get rid of either. No. So, I mean, I don't know. But there's nothing that stands out as like we could have probably done away with this angle and, and shortened it. I like the ride. Like, yeah, you know, listen, if I'm willing to sit through the deer hunter once every five years, because uh, <laughs> that thing. Talk about I mean, we're not on the level of the deer hunter here. I mean, you right. don't have to sit through uh, a, a one and a half hour wedding sequence before you get to the the <laughs> fucking DD <Didi> Mao. Uh <laughs> the deer hunter is like four hours. It, it's you know, it's a two it's a little over two a tick over two hours, Bone Tomahawk is, and you gotta earn it. Um so, you know, for some like my wife who gets sleepy very easily, uh, yeah. she saw very little of this.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's not it's not a sticking bad. You know, it's just one of those things. It's a, a cautionary, you know, a, a tribute to the movie that if you're not if, if you are a sleepy person uh, <laughs> or you don't have the attention span that is required, then maybe this movie may not be for you so you know, true yeah um yeah my other only other bad bad that i touched upon and you said you didn't really notice it but again it does seem like at some part because there is the utilization of the handheld technique um with the cinematography and some of it early on just seems like it is very digital and again at one point it doesn't seem to necessarily be there so i don't know if they you if they use a different you know, filming technique through half of it and do another, but I don't know. So that was one thing that kind of like, I was like, eh, but it's really, I think like if you're not looking for it, if you're not watching this with a critical eye, it's something that you're not even going to notice. And it definitely, I can say like you had mentioned that it has something to do with the budget, you know? So whatever, whatever basis a- I have. It's just negligible. It's negligible. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can knit. So what I was going to say was, and and this is like
1: almost on the fringes of, of midnight flicks. Like this almost doesn't qualify for us. It's almost too polished. Um, in a very similar, like manhunt, not since manhunter have we done like a, a real tour de force. That's so, polished and and there's a lack of grit and there's a lack of bad that really defines the kind of movies that we that we do on here but yeah it makes up for it there in the in the final act i feel like that that like drives home the nomination
0: for being on the
1: podcast
0: yeah for sure so i really can't think of anything else besides those The only other thing I said is it's hard to kind of
1: mishmash genres successfully. Like it really is. But if this were like a mixed drink, it would be like a four to one Western to horror ratio. And perhaps I would have liked a more like one to one uh, horror to Western ratio. Um, That's not a bad, but, uh, you know, maybe that would have been even more ridiculous. I don't know, right? Questionable. Um, what questions do you have?
0: One that I had was the choice by the search party to let. Uh, sorry, what's Patrick Wilson's uh, name in the the O O O'Reilly? It's not O'Reilly.
1: It, he's O'Dw-
0: O'Dwyer. They're the O'Dwyers. His the name O'Dwyer. is Arthur. Arthur O'Dwyer. Thank you for reminding me. Mm-hmm. The choice to let O'Dwyer lag, because I understand, you know, he's got a lame leg, and so he's kind of holding up the party. But to me, that seemed not a very wise technique. You don't leave the the you don't let the lame part of your party lag behind to be, uh, you know, attacked by predators. So I feel like that was a real, you know, you know, I, I understand at, at one point they kind of had to because he completely fucked his leg and like they had to reset it and leave him there. So it was they were gambling on he'd be OK. But up to that point, they're just like, OK, well, you know, you just got to lag behind. I'm like, this, you're just you're just leaving this guy open to die, essentially. But I was like yeah, the I choice to take it. him at all.
1: If you're at the right. search party, like Kurt Russell needs to put his fucking foot down as sheriff and be like, you are in no condition right, to fight who I've been told by this other learned native that <laughs> we are on a fucking death march, And you are already, <laughs> you know, well behind
0: physically. So, uh, yeah, yeah and- Kurt Russell probably needed to put his foot down on that one. And that's what Arthur's wife points out, obviously, when they get there. She's like, you fucking idiots, uh, which will bring me to discuss one of my favorite quotes when we get to the quotes. But she basically says, yeah, what, why would you do that? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Once again, the, <laughs>
1: the woman is the wise one. <laughs> is the, yeah, the sensible <laughs> fucking one in these real macho affairs. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which that reminds me also in the good. I did like, because <laughs> I didn't even think about it when you mentioned it, the, uh, the anthropologist or the doctor, uh, the professor. Yeah. The professor. I love that dude in general, uh, in, in, in Fargo as well. The character he plays in Fargo is great too. <laughs> yes. Phenom- phenomenal <laughs> performance in Fargo. And
1: that's actually one of my other questionable is the professor could have u- just used more screen time. I love that actor. I love his character specifically in this. His purpose was used to like move the story along, and to kind of give some more like much needed world building to the truck right. clan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have loved if it was like, I don't know. They like, they bribe him with money or a plot of land or anything to get him out there. Cause I feel like he could have been used in that, uh, in, in the search party, but only mm-hmm. for only because I love that, that character so much. Yeah.
0: yeah um, I don't really have any other questions. That's really it. <laughs> I have
1: two. One is more like a real question. The other one is 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 not so much. The first being uh, the sheriff talking about the cavalry is coming while his deputy is getting scalped and split in two and all that shit to a tribe of people, uh, mind you, that have no language, and he's been told <laughs> they have no language. Is a real pissing-in-the-wind situation. Like, it's a, <laughs> it is a questionable decision. Like, I know you're mad, and you're, like, you're seeing this shit happen, but first of all, they don't know what you're saying. Yep. And second of all, like... They don't care,
0: even they if they don't did. care,
1: and you're only... <laughs> you're only... Yeah, you're only setting yourself up to be next. So, yeah. yeah not, not wise to be doing that. And you have no skin in the game. You're... <laughs> You got yeah. no leverage. You got nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, tough, tough ask. But the sheriff was trying. I get it. The other one is what what's the what was the overall point of gouging out the eyes and cutting off the legs of the pregnant women in the tribe? Like, what did oh. we get a, uh, did that, that was a really fucking gnarly tidbit that they kind of just
0: walked past? Yeah, I feel like that was just a real, that was a, a real exclamation on the fact that this was just a real brutal tribe, a very brutal masculine tribe that only used, you know, women as breed mares. Essentially, they, they, they had no other um, purpose within the tribe other than to, to breed other males. Or to create more of breed mares, but you know, obviously in short supply because they don't really need need them to to have any service other than that, any function. But right. that was that was that was definitely pretty brutal, also, and reminded me of uh, that. Reminded me of the one of my favorite, if not my favorite, episode of X Files: Home. I don't know if we've talked about Here, that mm-hmm. that much. I know we've, we've talked about it probably all We have mic, brought up home for sure, but it definitely made me think of that episode of just utilizing the the mother or the female as just a breeding a apparatus. Yeah, a vessel. So,
1: <laughs> well, I guess my question. So if I if I could go down to the troglodytes and they wouldn't fucking kill me, and I could just be like, just shoot the shit, be like, listen, <laughs> listen, homies. Like, uh, I know Uh-oh. that survival is like top of the list. Um. You know, as part of such, you're only 12 deep uh, in this fucking clan. Everybody's important here. So we, we don't have time to be killing our ladies if we want this clan to survive past one generation. You, you understand me, my dogs? And right. then they'd probably split me in two after pulverizing my balls with a bone tomahawk. And I would have it coming, but <laughs> I would, you know, have a good point. Because they heard nothing that I said, and then they would just use their throat harmonicas to issue my my fucking death sentence. So right, but <laughs> that would be my question posed to the troglodytes.
0: Yeah, it would be it would be a val valid, valiant effort on your part to. I came there in a peacekeeping uh, <laughs> stance <laughs> to to uh, white mansplain. To yeah, I tried uh, a
1: white mansplain to the troglodytes. <laughs> uh, listen,
0: yo, why? Yeah, why y'all be uh, messing up your ladies like this? Come on,
1: Are, come do on. you have no sense of survival here, or yeah. like just predilection for passing this tribe on yeah. and continuing to eat people? I mean, come on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is done. Let's move into quotes.
0: Maybe. Let it go. I can't. Hey. Hey! You watch how you speak to the law. Sheriff especially. You aren't captain. No. I'm the most intelligent man here and I intend to keep us alive.
1: Oh, you're the most intelligent man here. Is that a fact?
0: It is. Sheriff Hunt has a wife. So does Mr. O'Dwyer. And you're a widower. Yeah. What has that got to do with anything? Smart men don't get married.
1: Lots well, of choice little tidbits here. Uh, what are some of your faves?
0: Well, because I did mention it just here not too long ago. Yes, when they get uh, imprisoned by the tribe and, you know, they're explaining to uh, the fuck. What's her name? <laughs> O'Dwyer. Mrs. O'Dwyer. Mrs. O'Dwyer. Yes. Thank you. I don't know why I keep like forgetting the O'Dwyer. I want to say some other variation of o O'Leary or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> yes, Mrs. O'Dwyer. They explained that they did bring her husband along for the, to the search party, and she says this is why front light, frontier life is so difficult. Not because of the Indians, not because of the elements, but because of the idiots. I love that so And then from uh, the gunslinger. Uh, smart men don't get married. And then- yeah, Bruder.
1: Bruder has some Bruder. choice quotes, and he's constantly giving it uh, yeah. to Arthur. Like he he has a vibes of like, uh, when I get to the caves, I'm fucking your wife first. Like he's on this search party for a totally different reason. He's like, oh, yeah. we're we're out to go fuck Mrs. O'Dwyer. I'm what? in, <laughs> and we're gonna leave his his gimp ass gip-ass husband behind more more pussy for brooder
0: hell yeah I mean <laughs> don't hate the player <laughs> hate the game um so there was that and then finally for me I had when um the sheriff says to the deputy when he's going on and on about something he says, deputy is it possible for you to close that aperture mm, yes yeah yeah, so, yeah. those were my good one yeah <laughs>
1: I think Sid Haig can't be in a movie without spouting some one-liner that's choice. Mm. And uh, his character, Buddy, says, You've been squirting lemon juice in my eye since I got here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love that line. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Now we move into our awards and categories section. Officially, now that we've got the quotes out of the way. Best scene, worst scene. Uh, What is the best scene in this movie?
0: Uh, Well, I don't know. Um, So this is in my good. I don't know if it's necessarily the best scene, but I did have it in my good. So I did want to mention it. I do really like the whole scene where they're left with the choice of what to do with O'Dwyer after he fractures his leg again. And uh, the deputy has to reset his leg. They're in the desert, and they're making that decision as to what ultimately, like you know, you know, what is the strategy? Because they're thinking about removing his leg, and he says, "Nope, absolutely not. Do not remove. This is my decision. Just reset it. Pump me full of opium. Let me leave me out here, and then hopefully, you know, we'll figure it out from there." So. That's a really good... I love a meeting of the minds
1: when shit hits the fan. It's like, all right, let's regroup and uh, figure this thing out. <laughs> because well, the, the horses get stolen, his gets he has to put his awesome. down, uh, and then they have to start traveling at night and sleeping during the day to avoid these, like, what I don't even... There's not a real backstory there, but there's like a vagabond tribe yeah. of, like, maybe Mexican bandito types yeah. that are like... Were just roaming around. So I, I love that they didn't even see those cir- circumstances and that there had to be like a tough decision made.
0: Yeah. And also just the premise. And I think about this often. It's it's one of those weird, random kind of thoughts that recur in my mind where I think about, God, how brutal it would have had to have been before more modern medicine and, and, and modern, ways of rehabilitating and, and surgery had occurred like just the fucking agony and pain and torture of dealing with any sort of you know injury or whatnot that you'd had to deal with at those times and i just when i see stuff like that i just i'm always like ah god that had to us you just have to bite down on a fucking piece of fucking leather wood or, or leather and just fucking take it it's like yeah, it. the uh,
1: frontier medicine is like one of my favorite things to do at any civil war site or museum is just look at like the hospital tent because it's a real fucking carn like house of horrors carnage going on like it was like their solution for everything was amputation. It was like, oh, you yeah. got you got like a splinter. Well, let's just take the whole fucking arm off. Cause I don't know <laughs> right. how to deal with this uh, and and uh, there the doctors were only there because they their actual day jobs were like meat cutters and like butchers and, and shit and they were like well I know how to like saw through like of the half of a pig I, I you know I can I can uh, surely take off a, a man's leg
0: <laughs> yeah and it also right and yeah just here how breathe some ether and then let me fucking take here's this a piece of leather meat <laughs> here's a complimentary leather and uh let's get going buddy but what it does for me is it puts into perspective that really all this wasn't that long ago if you look at the the especially human civilization and and any sort of development of you know nation states and cities and things like that the 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 advent of what would be considered more sensible you know surgery and things like that hadn't occurred until fairly recently and it also makes me think about you know i even think that current methods of surgery is pretty brutal like the idea of like going under the knife because i never have for anything is like i mean pretty like I, i i don't like it and it just makes me think about if we do somehow develop linear, linearly as is kind of like this expectation with Western capitalist sort of progress is, will there be a time where there's this like, do we have just nanobots that will go in and like repair your, your inner organs, and you know, you won't feel a thing. You know, it just makes me think about stuff like that. Will will, will there be a time a hundred years from now where we look back on, you know, current methods of surgery and we're like, ah, gross! Like they actually had to cut you open. What the fuck, you know? <laughs> that's true. That's so, true. Anyways, yeah. So that's my uh, that's my long roundabout way of saying best scene. Yay, best <laughs> scene. <laughs>
1: I just said deputy Nick getting fucking completely eviscerated. That was, that's always the standout for me. Right. Um, that would be my other choice. I really try hard to come up with something for every category. I don't have a worst scene. I just, I couldn't even be creative. I don't know. I just don't have anything here that stands out as being worse than the others.
0: Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know myself. I can't really think of one either. Um, I guess maybe seeing the uh, th- the O'Dwyer's f- fucking, but like that, that lady is pretty hot. So, but I just like any, any sort of like... the worst, yeah. Yeah, let's throw that yeah, in the worst. I don't know, just like, you know, just their attempt at, you know, fucking with him with his gimp leg. And, and I think Arthur says something
1: to the effect of let's do this the right way, which is just straight missionary. Missionary, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: So there you I go. Like, yeah, okay. We've good... Good talk. That's in the worst scene for sure. Worst scene is the is the the old timey just missionary man on top fucking scene. He's laid back getting getting fucking rocked and he's got titties in his face and he's like, stop, stop,
1: stop, stop, stop. I want to be in agonizing pain so we could do this the right way. You lay mm-hmm. back and let me let me give you all of my Patrick Wilson. And then his fucking leg is like hurting the whole time. Like, Get the fuck out of here. That's not gonna that's not gonna drive with me.
0: Right. Well, and it's also just, in, you know, of course, this movie for a myriad reasons is not in any way, shape or form trying to show its wokeness, you know, but, you know, it just, it falls in line with that whole idea, that idea of, you know, well, fucking just amounts of the, the man spurting his dick in, you, you know, there's, well, no, especially, there's no yeah, eight, yeah, 18, or, 1800s. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So there you go. There you go. We're seeing.
1: Dahmer, I hardly know her
0: award for the most killer performance. Who do you give it to? I mean, the obvious would have been Kurt Russell, but I chose to go with Richard Jenkins. So. <laughs> I said Patrick Wilson. There I go. really love what he's doing in this. And, yeah.
1: uh, and I want to give him like almost like a <laughs> roundabout award for just being in all my favorite horror movies in the 21st century. So, oh, well, yeah, there you go like a Lifetime Achievement slash Dahmer Award. My man. Um, The Michael Rooker Award goes to the most evil fucker in the movie. This is a, I don't know if you actually saw this. The, (laughs) because I think we would both agree that it's one of two parties. The Troglodytes themselves or Purvis and Buddy who are just basically wandering around murdering innocent people and, and stealing their shit. So it's almost in some way they're more evil.
0: Yeah that's true yeah i didn't think about that i put the, the the clan particularly the the chieftain the head of the clan but yeah they're, they're you know they're evil which, fuckers which is, what in, I a, was in a more gonna, conscientious way so yes yes
1: yeah, yeah 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 but if we're both in agreement that it's the troglodytes this is a choice opportunity to mention their names which are hilarious <laughs> you got and we gotta let me let me know which one's your favorite you got boar tusks and you got, this dude's name is just straight up ser- Serrated Tomahawk. That's his fucking name. <laughs> you got Wolf Skull, you got Tall Trees, and you got Sharp Teeth Trog, which is fun. Uh, who's your favorite troglodyte? Wolf Skull. Wolf Skull's good. I love Serrated Tomahawk, because that's not a name. No.
0: That's just, a, that's an object. it's a it's a yeah it's uh like his name could have been tomahawk right (laughs) it's his
1: paraphernalia serrated tomahawk is a description of eh, whatever okay um yeah troglodytes are the most evil fuckers in the movie although i really feel like we should give it to purvis and buddy because they are the catalyst for they drunkenly like stumble across their like fucking holy circle of death and start this whole fucking thing. They were just minding their own business, eating people in the Valley until that, until white, until these white idiots came and fucked everything up for everybody. Yeah, I agree. Let's give it to them. (laughs) Okay. Purvis and buddy, the most evil fuckers in the movie. Um, all right. The recasting couch, um, being that this is such a, uh, newer movie came out in, 2015 I don't have any fantasy casting but there is a small amount of um actual recasting and regrouping that happened during the movie um when the movie was officially announced uh back in October of 2012 Peter Sarsgaard and Jennifer Carpenter were actually going to play the O'Dwyers um while Timothy Oliphant, who I only remember from The Office, was going to play John Bruder, which is actually a choice piece of uh, casting. I don't have a problem with Matthew Fox, but Timothy Oliphant would have been
0: just as good as Bruder. Well, yeah, so that was the one recast Mm -hmm. that I was going to mention. So you never saw Deadwood? No. Oh, Is Timothy Oliphant in Deadwood? Yeah, he's he's a primary character. He's one of the lead characters. And if you would have saw Deadwood... And then you saw that recast; it would have been all the way into having Timothy Oliphant f- play play that <laughs> that role. Well, goddamn!
1: What do you think about the Sarsgaard, the Peter Sarsgaard uh, uh, cast for O'Dwyer?
0: I, I I don't have any truck in in that because either way, Patrick yeah. Wilson's the better O'Dwyer. Pa- pa- Patrick Wilson, I would say, uh, from what I know, is the best choice. Yeah. Uh, Jim Broadbent
1: actually replaced Richard Jenkins for a few months when the project was, uh, being delayed, but then Jenkins was then recast into his original role. Thank and fuck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're all better for it. Thankfully we're that all better out.
1: for Richard Jenkins across the board is the upgrade in any situation yeah. and to take him away is an instant, uh, downgrade. Yeah, I agree. And the last piece of business is Michael Wincott was considered for the role of Buddy, which orig- which uh, eventually went to Sid Haig. So I feel like all in all, we got the proper casting out of it, maybe outside of Timothy Oliphant getting Bruder.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I think that Michael Fox, is it Michael or Matthew? Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, I think he did a fine job, but Timothy Oliphant would have been an upgrade. That's the only instance. <laughs>
1: All right. Um, do we want to round this out, close this up, put a flaming hot flask into our ca- body cavities with the wiki wormhole? <gasps> Let's do it. I'm ready. Body count. I saw a very descriptive body count list. It wasn't a video set to Lamb of God. time. it was a. That's
0: a fortune. You had to sit
1: through that. I decided to stop going to YouTube for these. Body count lists. Um, it set the movie at 20, which is about what I would have thought if I were to guess a
0: number. Yeah. I didn't even take a, a wager at what it was because there was, there's was definitely, you know, there was some stuff going on with the, the tribes people that I wasn't sure who all died. Well you know there's 12 of them and they kill
1: 9 of them because okay. you know that there's only 3 left Yeah. so I'm not sure if the 20 I can't remember if the 20 took into account the 3 when at the very end of the movie they just hear gunfire and you are to assume that there's the, all 12 droglodytes were completely erased yeah. um, but 20 is the most accurate number I could find Fair enough <laughs> The movie was shot in 21 days, which is an absolute uh, marathon. It's That's yeah. crazy. Um, more crazy business. The final movie represents the first draft of the script, which is actually maybe more insane than 21 days. To have a, a script with no rewrites and for it to have sat for years and years and years and not ever gotten any sort of rewrite is, is really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Matthew Fox said that he enjoyed making this movie more than any other film and always wanted to be in a Western. He always wanted to be a cowboy. So there you go. As far as I know, he hasn't really been in anything since. So there you go. Well, he is his favorite movie of all time and he knew he could never top it. So he's waiting (laughs) for the call from Fox, about the party of five reunion. (laughs) Oh, that may not come. Uh, the cave, the cave set, Um, in the final act of the movie was the same cave set used in the first Iron Man movie where Tony Stark is held captive and constructs the first Iron Man suit. I've never seen an Avengers movie outside of like the three Avengers movies that I've seen. So I don't know what the fuck that means, but that's fun, I guess.
0: Yeah. I've seen that first Iron Man. I didn't put the two together when I saw it, but it was a nice little tidbit of info. That's fun. Same cave. Um,
1: does does uh, Tony Stark get split in fucking two in in uh, the first Iron Man? But then he's reconstructed and put into the Iron Man suit.
0: No, but that would be amazing. So if there's any. Damn. There's apparently the final of the Iron Man series is coming out here soon. So
1: maybe okay. there'll
0: be a, a reboot later on where they decide to split him in half and reconstruct him. I don't That'll be tight. I'll set my calendar for don't give a fuck. <laughs> um,
1: okay. <laughs> Stephen Craig Zayler said, uh, and I don't know what these are referencing, but his inspiration for this was H. Rider Haggard's Lost Race Tales and The Virginian, uh, according to an interview with him in, back in 2015. I think I've heard of the Virginian. I don't know what Lost Race Tales is.
0: Yeah, just that, that title alone, Lost Race Tales, you know that that's, it's, it's got a plethora of salient information that white people need to know. It's a real uh, <laughs> it's a real
1: eye-opener to how this movie <laughs> came about. I'm shocked that it's not just I saw Ravenous and thought I could do better. Yeah. But, whatever. <laughs> John Bruder wears the same style pistol holder as Johnny Ringo in Tombstone. So that was that's pretty fine. Sick. Yeah. And uh, another roundabout way of bringing in Michael Bean into the conversation. Yeah. Um, more pistol talk, because I know you love this shit. None of this means anything oh, to me. But yeah. the, the pistol that Arthur O'Dwyer carries is a Merwin and Holbert revolver. Uh, though not as well known as the Colt peacemaker or the Smith and Wesson obviously the Merwin and Holbert was well known for being well designed and very rugged
0: yeah I, Jer- I, I love talk. talking about guns whatever that and that ends that gun the gun portion of our conversation <laughs> the gun the gun nut corner the gun sponsored. nut corner Sponsored by Smith and Wesson and brought to you by Adam. <laughs> and Walmart. Doritos. And Doritos. Um, <laughs> and, and Blue Lives Matter.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I thought you would just I, I don't know if you've got into a Zaylor wormhole, but I thought you would find this shit um and never endingly uh, interesting. Obviously, this is his directorial debut. He um began his career as a screenwriter and cinematographer. Um But even to go further back than that, he was a drummer, lyricist and singer under the stage name Czar and collaborated with Jeff Harriott to write and perform songs as the heavy metal group
0: Realm Builder. Are you a Realm Builder fan? This is all news to me and it all sounds like shit that I would absolutely hate. I don't know anything about any of this, but no, I Realm Builder has three
1: albums on Swedish label I hate records.
0: Yeah, I don't know any of this. This is this is some this is some subcategory of of nerd metal that I'm not gonna touch, so Well, it gets funkier. <laughs> right. Like because is- he played in a, a funk metal band also? <laughs> Is a that a primus tribute
1: band oh primus okay i was like is that a thing and then you said primus so i was like oh okay is that this
0: primus funk metal Fun, funk post-rock alternative rock metal yes god damn i i, I fuck I, fuck less claypool to, to hell
1: i that, <laughs> none of that interests me Uh, But this is also following Zaylor's foray into black metal with his project Carnal Valley. You a big Carnal Valley guy? Nope. All right. Well, he played drums and he wrote lyrics for Carnal Valley and shared songwriting duties with some guy named Worm.
0: Uh, And go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Worm. That sounds. okay. so I here's the thing. I appreciate (laughs) some crossover between. Hollywood and and the film world and extreme metal and underground metal. But more often than not, when people try to, you know, have their feet in both worlds, it's like I feel like the music side of whatever this creative person is always suffers in my mind. And it's always some shit that I just won't fucking touch because it's just some like straight up nerd goof shit that is disingenuine to me. So this all just sounds like absolute baloney that I won't Do we want to do
1: an experimental thing that you can edit <laughs> out
0: if it's just a complete fucking shit show? I
1: put, I have a realm builder song up on my computer. Uh, do you want me to play okay. this? And we can just listen to a little snippet of it and see what we think of realm builder
0: yeah i mean i'd be interested in yeah let's see if it'll actually come through the the recording
1: that that's the experiment part of this that might might fail but all right here we go some realm builder
0: hold on sorry of course it starts with horse trotting There, there we go okay yes i hear it
1: fast
0: forward here. All right, I'm I'm
1: done with that experiment.
0: So, from from what I could glean from the the warbling distorted tidbit <laughs> that I heard that was coming through. It basically sounded like thirty-eight special R- Leonard Skinner Southern rock to me. When I fast forwarded to defi- try to find some
1: vocals, it went into uh, a real shitty place. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I could maybe be into it uh, from the first like 10 seconds, but then... It went nowhere good. Okay. Well, it sounded like realm builder.
0: <laughs> what I, what I, what I, so there is a, a term that I saw somebody use on the internet. Um, that mm-hmm. font of wisdom and, and cleverness that some of you may have heard of, uh, that I had never heard of before, but was very, uh, aptly described for certain kinds of bands. And I will say that it sounded like to me that it was door guy metal. <laughs> <laughs> doorman metal. <laughs> and as somebody who has worked in many capacities as a security guard and a doorman, but does not like what would be this particular subgenre, I do know what that person meant by doorman metal. It's be- bearded, IPA swilling, fucking hubba hubba, bubba riffs. Hubba hubba bubble riffs is about as about, <laughs> that's about as descriptive as we're gonna get. Sleeve tattooed, yeah. So I don't know. They oh, kind of st- realm builder. Yeah, it sounded like some door guy music to me. Well, uh,
1: thankfully Stephen Craig Zaylor became a director. Then I guess.
0: <laughs> I mean that's the thing, you know. I I I ain't hating on the man for trying his hand at a few different things and maybe I'll I'll check out his black metal thing but I guarantee with utmost certainty that I will fucking hate it. So I would imagine so. I yeah. I have very little faith in it. But well, his, that, his movies my man there you go good yeah, job. You figure that out. Yeah, okay.
1: If that sounded like total ass, just uh, delete this entire segment. <laughs> okay. We'll see if That's the end of the wiki wormhole. We went
0: out on a... On a, on a, a realm f- builder. builder. <laughs> a queef of a realm builder. <laughs> a queef, queef builder. Queef,
1: we built up... Unlike the movie itself, we really built up to a, <laughs> a shitty end here. A flatulence. act. Flatul- flatul- builder, when, the, builder, yeah. Yeah, flatland builder. The new podcast from adam and pat um okay
0: so let's just rate this and move on uh what oh, is this go ahead i was gonna say reminder to any of us that will be listening to the hardware episode which will be dropping here in a couple days this is my bad because i was the captain of that helm i forgot to assign a iconography to the rating well as of now
1: as of our discussion when people hear it it will already be out there, baby.
0: Yeah. So, sorry about that. So, let's make sure that we get the iconography all set with this one. You were a then Ray- boy last week. So, I was. So so it was. So, not-
1: for last week's episode, we didn't do the iconography, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good – and I, I honestly think we've been really dropping the ball because I don't think we've done the midnight clock thing in a couple episodes.
0: Yeah, that's true. We all, Well – Do we want to yeah, get rid play- of that? Does anyone no. even
1: understand what that means?
0: <sighs> Nobody tells us anything. That's except true. for like three people and that text me once in a while. Do those three people understand? <laughs> I don't know. If let's, so. just, let's do this right. All right. Four
1: out of uh, out of five. Sorry, I was doing an Ebert scale. Out of five
0: bone tomahawks. I bone don't know tomahawks. what else. What the no, fuck else would we do? That's exactly what I was going to say. The bone tomahawks. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah i gave it four
1: four out of five bone tomahawks Mm -hmm. no 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 let's do out of out of five throat harmonicas okay four out of five. (laughs) five it's still okay it's still four out of five uh yeah four i gave it four out of five throat harmonicas and then on the midnight flicks clock where does this land
0: I mean, it's hard telling because, yeah, for the, I would say it's got to be after midnight because those violent scenes are fucking brutal and there is some, there's some fucking in it. So I'd say it's like a one o'clock.
1: For the O'Dwyer titties and the scalping and whatnot and the, and the just getting split in two. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say one on the, on the clock.
0: Um, I think that's, no, I watched it a little bit before that, but yeah, I watched it relatively late. I've been up later lately because I haven't been working a day job, but that's yeah. exactly when I watched it. It was probably
1: right around one. So that's perfect. There we go. What's on the next episode then?
0: Well, so let's have a discussion here because I, uh, obviously this will all get edited out because I actually don't, there's a few choices. There's one that I'm specifically kind of honing in on. But I wanted to have a discussion with you, I guess. Maybe what are, hey, what are you in the mood for? What are you in the mood for for watching next? What's what's kind of what's going to you know, really set in your cinematic palette, mental palette. Um I'm not really sure. Maybe uh, so we just did something
1: obviously super modern. We've um,
0: we've definitely we. I feel this current programming has been the most diverse thus far. It's because Maybe. of our
1: because I had to choose a western, so I think it the the genre idea was a good was a good idea.
0: Okay, so this is this is what I'm thinking because it's we been a
1: horror movie in a while, just like a straight up horror movie. Yeah, I, I really don't care.
0: That's true. So. We've stuck mostly to more current-ish movies. You know, the, er- the earliest one we've had is The Hitcher. So I feel like we need to go back in the Wayback Machine. And this is another kind of comedy, I guess. I don't know how to describe this. So this is, this is where my mind is laying right now on my list as far as what we should watch. I choose for our next episode... To talk about pink flamingos. Oh, okay. John Waters' pink flamingos. Absolutely. Gonzo, yeah. wacky, shock comedy. What we have, have not you?
1: done any John Waters. No, it John would be Waters. A real uh, embrace to uh, to get some divine
0: on the programming. Um, I've that's fucking great. Okay, there we go. Next episode: pink flamingos. We're gonna we're gonna prepare eating lots of dog poop in the meantime. Fuck can, yeah, I might just watch
1: the whole trash trilogy. We're fucking they're all they're all great.
0: Yeah. So there we go. Next time, Pink Flamingos. Fuck yeah. Fuck Man. yeah. Fuck yeah.
1: This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by Gag. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflix, spelled F L I X, pod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod for Adam Walker. I'm Pat Mitchell, see you next week.